Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you're following along on the Pew Bible, that's page 938. John 1, 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and of truth. Good morning, church. It is so good to see everybody here today. So glad you're with us today. If you're our guest today for the first time or the hundredth time, we're super glad that you're here. We hope that you feel welcome here among God's people at the great church. What a wonderful, wonderful day it is. I just want to take the opportunity to uh, say something to all, uh, especially our men and young men here who sometimes lead in worship or maybe uh, intending to someday, but this also would apply to our ladies also who would be leading women in worship from time to time. But I just want to say that Rooster Pitts is a very great example of a worship leader. And, uh, you know, messing up in a song, some people would just like crumble, uh, you know, because public speaking, and it goes the same for public singing. Public singing is far more of a nerve-wracking thing for me than public speaking is, which is probably no surprise. Rooster is the opposite. Public speaking is more of a nerve-wracking thing than public singing, right? And so, but you mess up, but we love each other, right? Nobody's sitting in the audience here in a church environment hoping you fail, you know? So you're with family. So you have a good sense of humor about it like he did. And so I just want to say that, especially to young folks coming up. Don't think of public speaking or public singing or public praying or public reading or whatever as something that everybody is judging you over because it's just not the case. We all want each other to succeed. We support each other. This is not some formal funeral. It's a family gathering. And so I just really appreciate the way you do that. And I, all our young men that, that want to follow in Rooster's uh, footsteps as song leaders, uh, just learn from Rooster how not only does he stand and lead, but he shares himself. 
his spirit, his personality. And uh, so that's enough about Rooster today. But I love you and appreciate you, brother. <laughs> All right. Let's get into the word of Almighty God. Uh, all right, we began a series last week in which we were talking about the Word of God. And the point of this series is to explore together the relationship of Jesus, the living Word of God, with the Bible, the written Word of God. And one of the things we affirmed last week as we began this series is, well, the very thing that Paul affirms in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, where he says, And we also thank God constantly for this that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. The Bible is not the word of men, that is of humans, despite the fact that God used at least 40 to put it down in writing over the centuries. But as we talked about last week, God so oversaw the process that the end result is that it is not the word of men, it is the word of God. And therefore you can trust everything in the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 to be absolutely true and right about everything that is communicated. God cannot lie. Titus 1 verse 2. The Bible is the truth. Man, we live today in a glorious, glorious age of the availability of the Word of God. I mean, honestly, if our brethren before the inventing of the printing press, our brethren in the medieval dark ages in the ancient world, and if they could have just got a glimpse into how rich we are in Scripture in this era, they would think that the whole world just had to be in love with Jesus and obedient from the heart. Amen. They couldn't imagine anything otherwise. Man, we've got the Bible in hard copy, in so many languages, almost all the languages on the planet. We've got it in so many different versions in the different languages. So if you want a word-for-word -word version, you can get that. You want a thought-for-thought uh, uh, -thought version, you can get that. You want paraphrases, you can get that. Man, it is just so widely, widely made in so many different versions that each personality can find a good, accurate translation that's going to speak to your spirit. It's a blessing. And not only do we have it in hard copy, but we've got it in electronic forms. It's available on the internet. You can download it and save it to your drive on your device. You've got your smartphone, wherever you are in the world with a smartphone, you, you've got the Bible in just innumerable forms and ways. And, and even some phones that are not so smart nowadays can access the Bible in a bunch of different ways. And so, brothers and sisters, really, in our world today, God has fulfilled the prophecy that he would cause the knowledge of him to cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. And so, if you've got a situation in which God and his providence has fulfilled such prophecies, so that literally everybody on the planet has got access to the Bible not far from them at all, well, how is the devil going to keep the whole world from believing and, and obeying the gospel? He's got to deceive people. He's got to get people to become blind to what is going on all around them. And brothers and sisters, that's exactly what he's doing. And it's what he will try to do with you. And I want to say to the children in the auditorium this morning, if he can succeed in convincing you not to see the Bible as it really is, that's exactly what he's going to try to do. And he's going to try to bring influences into your world that are going to tell you false things about the Bible like what you see on the screen. 
And so these are false claims that deceive the ignorant because there are excellent answers to all of the objections to the inspiration of the Scriptures as the Word of God. But you will find all kinds of stuff out there on the Internet. Of course, there's stuff in print as well. But you will certainly find all kinds of stuff in the Internet that is attacking the Bible, like what you see here. This is a secular view of Bible history that says, in essence, it's just the work of the Jews. This is just kind of the, the collection of the, the mindset of the Jews as they develop their religion over the course of time. I'm going to talk about this particular argument and the falseness of this deception, Lord willing, in the next lesson in this series. But I just want to, to make sure that we understand that the devil is trying to get people to turn a blind eye to the Word of God that is surrounding them in every aspect of their lives. And please don't let him do that to you. Because the case uh, for the Bible is the same as the case for Christ. And the case is very, very strong. Jesus is the living word of God. The Bible is the written word of God. As goes one, so goes the other. As speaks one, so speaks the other. Because the Bible flows from the heart and mind of Jesus our Lord. It is the expression of his will to us. He is the expression of the Father's will. And through the Holy Spirit, he has given us this expression in the form of the Bible. You can see there the poster for the Case for Christ movie, as well as the most reluctant convert there in the top right. And if you have not seen these two movies, I urge you this week, find some time for some family entertainment and watch them. They're available on multiple streaming services. You may have to pay a few bucks to get them if you're not prescribed, subscribed to one or something like that. But if you haven't seen the movie The Case for Christ or The Most Reluctant Convert, they tell the story of two very famous people. And you can find out who they are if you watch them. Two very famous people who went from atheism to belief in Jesus Christ, solid, devout belief in Jesus Christ. And I think it would be great for you to watch this and just explore that. It will strengthen your faith and help you to understand just how strong the case for Christ and his word really is. And so there's an entertainment way that you can do that. And of course, you can find all kinds of resources online that'll tell you how we got the Bible, how it went from inspiration of the prophets in the ancient world to the massive availability that we have today. And we will talk about that again in a later lesson in this series. But what I want us to do in deepening our thoughts about our subject matter is, is go to John chapter 1 which is our scripture reading throughout this series, one of the most important passages in the Bible if we're going to understand who Jesus is to us and to understand his relationship with the written word, the Bible. So let's read together. And I just want to uh, notice a couple of things you see underlined there and kind of emphasize each one of those. And I've talked about this first thing before. But in the beginning was, in the beginning was, the word was is a form of the Greek to be verb a me. The form of it in John chapter 1 is the word in, more or less, epsilon nu or en, and it is in the imperfect tense, all right? Now, if you're a grammarian, uh, you know what I'm talking about already, but if you're like most of us, you're like, eh, that's cool, it sounds great, but I have no idea what the imperfect tense is. Well, listen, Koine Greek, the language that the New Testament was written in, does not have the kind of past, simple past tense that the English language has. And so it's, the translation is difficult. It's not a one for one. Was, was. There are multiple tenses that we would call past tenses in Greek. Ways to communicate action that has taken place in the past. 
aorist tense. I won't, I'm not going to try to explain all these in detail, but the aorist tense doesn't say anything about the action, when it started, when it ended. It's just as close, I guess, to a simple past tense as you can get, but it's still more complicated than that. But there's the perfect tense. And you think of what is perfect. What is perfect is not lacking anything. In fact, the Greek word teleos, which is the Greek word for perfect used throughout the New Testament, means more complete than it does flawless. Now, still, the word perfect can mean flawless in certain uh, uh, contexts. And if we're talking about God as perfect, we're talking about flawless. But if we're talking about a human being that is a perfect man or a perfect woman, we're not talking about flawless, we're talking about complete, meaning every aspect of their life has been brought into submission to God and is faithful. There's nothing lacking, right? And so the perfect tense means that the action being discussed as having taken place in the past reached its completion. It was entirely done in the past, and now it's over. That's not the tense that is being used in John 1 here. It is the imperfect tense, which you might say is the opposite of the perfect tense. It means that there was action that was ongoing in the past, and it, continu it was continuing to happen as it was happening in the past. And so if we are to literally translate the Greek in this passage into English, and I wish it would be translated like this in our English Bibles, in the beginning was already being the Word. Does that make sense? In the beginning the Word was already existing. That is the connotation of the Greek in this passage. It's very important that you know that because there are some false teachers out there in Christendom that will teach you that Jesus is a created being. They might even say that he's the most exalted of all God's creations, but he is in fact a creature. But John tells us that is not the case at all. In the beginning, the Word was already being the Word, and the Word was being with God, in a state of being with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, we recognize at this point that we're talking about two persons in the Godhead or in the Godhood or deity. So God is at least two persons, we find out, by the time we get to, uh, to verse 2 in John chapter 1, right? He was in the beginning with God. And we recognize that the word here, the Greek word logos, translated word, we realize this is a person that we're talking about, right? He was in the beginning with God. Notice verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. I'm sorry to our friends, the so-called Jehovah's Witnesses and others that have fallen for the Arian, ancient Arian heresy, but nothing was created apart from Jesus. Jesus could not have been a created being because then something would have been made previous to him and apart from him. But John makes it clear that God the Father made nothing except through the agent of Jesus, the eternal word, his Son. This is the teaching of Scripture. In him, that is the word, that is Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. His very life is the revelation of truth to us. His very life is the beginning of education for us. You have not begun to be enlightened until you have begun to study Jesus himself, who is the life, he says himself, in John 14 and verse 6. Verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The shadows flee from Jesus, brothers and sisters. They cannot combat him or his will. 
We continue then in our reading just a little bit later in the passage. This uh, begins in verse 9, again in John 1. The true light which gives light to everyone. Notice that. He is the true light. That is, he's the one who actually reveals to us the truth. See, light shines on reality. It enables us to clear the darkness away to see what really is there. In the physical world, we need light to keep from falling into a ditch, right? So the light shines on the physical environment to show us the terrain that is actually there around us, to enable us to see the realities of creation, the beauties of creation, and so on, right? So if Jesus is the true light, then he is the one who enables us to see what really is going on. And we might say he's given us the light physically because it was the voice of the Word of God that said in the beginning, let there be light. He's the true light. He's the one that reveals light, shines light on reality that we might understand the world that we live in. And he gives light to everyone. The old preachers used to preach, and this new preacher is going to preach as well, that everybody has been given some light. That is some knowledge of some part of the truth. Every human being has been enlightened in some way. Some talent or some gift or some ability or some insight that comes from Jesus, their creator. That he's given them that they can share ideally with the Christian community. And so this passage teaches that Jesus himself is the revealer of God's truth. And the passage continues. The light which gives life to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. In other words, the incarnation, the, the eternal word of God became man. He became the human being, Jesus. And the world was made through him. And yet the world did not know him. Sadly, that statement remains true. He came to his own, that is the Jews, and his own people did not receive him. Sadly, that remains true. But to all, Jew or Gentile, who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right. Now, we live in a culture that is hyper-focused on rights, all right? So as Americans, we get the concept of a right. We understand this, this nation was built to give people their unalienable rights. Uh -huh. and, and you hear in the news today, one of the, all of the great struggles in our culture today are about rights and about the violation of those rights. And so being a people that really understand the concept of, of your rights as a citizen, as a person, this ought to speak very strongly to us. He gives all who believe in him the right to become children of God. If you do not believe in Jesus, you do not have the right to call God your Father. Amen. And that's a fact. And those who have the right to become children of God are born not of blood. In other words, it's not about your lineage. It's not about your parentage. It's not about your race, your ethnicity, your nationality. It's not about, you know, whatever talents have been passed down to you from the past generations. It's not about your blood, man. That's not what makes someone a child of God, nor the will of the flesh. In other words, it's not the ingeniousness of mankind that thought of all this wonderful stuff that the Bible reveals. That's not what makes people the children of God, nor the will of man, but of God. God. In other words, there is divine activity, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in our families' lives, in our ancestors' lives, in every aspect of the history of this world. The Holy Spirit has been working to bring us under the sound of the word of the beloved Son of God. 
If you are in Christ today, it is because God has brought you into the fold through his providence, through supernatural means. I can say it. It's true. If you're a Christian, it's because God has been working miracles in this world to bring you into a position where you could hear the word of God. That's what John 1 teaches us. You're not here because you're so great. You're here because he is great, man, because he is great. And that's why we're here together as his people. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so part of the emphasis of this series, beloved brothers and sisters, is that Jesus is himself the living revelation of God. Jesus is himself God made known to us. To make sure we understand what we mean when we say revelation, here's the Webster's definition of the word. Uh, revelation is an act of revealing or communicating divine truth. It, it, revelation is something that is revealed by God to humans. It is an act of revealing to view, that is so that we can see what we could, could not see before or making known. It is something that is revealed, especially an enlightening disclosure. So I use the word revelation in, in a biblical context, and people might think, oh, he's talking about the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. No, that is a revelation. It is the revelation which Jesus gave to John. But the whole of the Bible is the revelation of God to mankind. It is God revealing who he is, what he wants, what he's asking of us, what he's leading us to, what a whole point of creation is. The Bible is the complete revelation of God to man as much as mortal beings are able to understand it. But it only is such because it comes from Jesus who is himself the living revelation of God. You cannot understand God as he is in his indiscernible, limitless spiritual form. It's just above your pay grade. To understand God, God had to become human so we could see what it really looks like lived out in the only way that we know to be, which is as embodied individuals in a material world in time. And so the second person of the Godhead, the Logos, the eternal word, the Son of God, Jesus our Lord, became a human being. And it was not until then that folks who wanted to know God really had the power to know Him. And that's what we mean when we say that Jesus is the living Word of God. And so, moving forward, Scripture is the only reason that we know this. Because Jesus has never appeared to any one of us, brothers and sisters. Not literally has He appeared in resurrected form to any one of us. And so if we're going to know Jesus as the living word of God, the revelation of God to man, we're going to know it through what he has caused to be written down, which are the 66 canonical books of the Bible. So let's talk about uh, five things that we learn from John 1. When the Bible says the word was with God and the word was God, we learn from John 1 that God is one, just as Deuteronomy 6 says, there's only one God, but God is not one person. The one God is not just one person. If we had nothing for John 1, we might not know much about the Holy Spirit, but we'd know at least that God is the Father and God is the Son. That is made abundantly clear in John chapter 1. So John chapter 1 is, is leading us toward understanding the doctrine of the Trinity. Secondly, God the Word was with 
God the Father before time began. Now, brothers and sisters, we have been given almost nothing about what things were like, what existence was like for God before he created time. The Bible starts in the beginning. doesn't say anything about anything before. It just says, in the beginning, God. He was already there. Before the beginning, God was there. That's as much as we know. Jesus praying to the Father says, Father, restore me to the glory uh, that I had with you before the world was or before the foundation of the world. So we hear from Jesus that God lived in glory, existed in glory eternally before he created time, before it was the beginning so far as our existence is concerned. But that's all we know. That's all we need to know. Because you can't understand what it is to be eternal in the past tense as we would think of it today. How can something not have a beginning? I don't know. I don't understand how that works, neither do you. It's not anything we can even relate to. right? It's, it's not something we can understand. We can know that it must be the case because something cannot come from nothing, and therefore something has always existed, and that's an infallible truth. You can know that that is true, but rack your brains for the next 60 years. You're not going to understand how it works, right? Lots of things in life that we know work. We, just, we don't know exactly how they work. We know they do. God being eternal works. It must be the case, even if we cannot understand it. So God, the Word, that is the pre-incarnate form of Jesus, was with God the Father before the beginning of time. And God the Word became human. These are the three most important and fundamental, maybe I'll, I'll say this, it's not really a good word, kids, but the fundamentalist truth of John chapter 1 are these three things. But, but number four, God the Word is the same person as God the Son. God the Word is God the Son. God the Word is Jesus. Jesus is who we know as uh, the God having become man, the human being, God being a human being, Jesus. Number five, the Son of God is both God's messenger and God's message. As the passage we just read teaches, He is the true light. It's not only that He gives light, He does but he gives light because he is light. That also means he never runs out of light to give. He is the light. He's an inexhaustible supply of knowledge, of revelation, of truth, and of guidance. Praise God for that. And so Jesus is the living word of God. We've affirmed that now two weeks in a row. John 1, again, now in verse 17, we read, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. There is no human being, no mortal eye has ever seen the spiritual being God. We cannot and live, God tells us. If God were to reveal himself to you in all of his glory, it would kill you on the spot. You cannot contain that kind of glory. And brothers and sisters, that ought to bring us to our knees and worship to God. He's greater than we can possibly conceive of. Man, God is awesome. And I can't wait until resurrected from the dead. I have glorified eyes that will be able to behold the likeness of God and it not kill me. Oh, man. Oh, man. Have you thought about that? One day, brothers and sisters, one day, keep the faith. <laughs> keep the faith. You will see God. But in our lives now, the only God who is at the Father's side, that is Christ, he has made him known. So God the Word is the same person as God the Son. And the Son of God is both God's messenger and his message. He is the true light. 
So uh, God is one, but not one person. I'm going backwards, brothers and sisters. There we go. There we go. There we go. Now we're going forward. Now this comes from Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, the writer begins, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Talking about the Old Testament here, right? Verse 2. But in these last days, I just had a conversation with a fellow yesterday. Uh, first, first religious conversation I'd ever had with this guy. But I had a conversation with this guy yesterday. And uh, he was, we were having a Bible discussion. He was saying, you know, that, uh, you know that, that someone he knows was saying that these have got to be the last days. This must be, we must be in the last times. And I told him, oh yeah, we're definitely in the last times. Then I quoted this passage from Hebrews chapter 1. And I said, we've been in the last times since the first century. It's been the last times for a long time. So these are the last days, which means Jesus could come back at any moment. Are you listening? The second coming could happen now. Now. Every now could be the now that we hear the trumpet of God throughout the whole of the universe. The voice of the archangel shouting the end. And we see Jesus coming in the clouds. That day will come. And it might be today. This is why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow may be too late. Don't ever be presumptuous about your salvation. Every time you hear the gospel preached, you make a decision about it. Whether you will embrace it and obey it or not. If you're not yet a baptized believer and you, you're old enough to where you're responsible for your actions and you're not yet a baptized believer, you leave this auditorium today without embracing Christ and obeying the gospel, you might hear the trumpet of God this afternoon and realize, oh man, I, I had the opportunity this morning and I missed it and listen, brothers, and man, it'll be too late. So take it seriously. Take it seriously. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Listen to what the writer says about Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things. In other words, the father has given everything to Jesus. It's his, through whom also he created the world. You see, John wasn't alone in communicating the truth about Jesus. The whole of the word communicates it over and over again. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. If you take the nature of God and stamp it on a human, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's how powerful our Jesus is right now. Your heart is beating because Jesus will is willing that it to, will continue to beat. That's how directly tied your existence is to the power and authority of Jesus. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So let's talk about just for a moment how this living revelation from God to man gave us the written revelation of God from God to man, the Bible. First of all, we understand from these passages that we looked at today that all things are from God the Father. And Jesus, having received them, revealed them to his disciples and then threw them to the world. Listen to Matthew 11 and verse 27. Jesus says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. You do not know God apart from Jesus. There is no pathway in Islam that leads to God. 
There is no pathway in Buddhism that leads to God. There's no pathway in Hinduism that leads to God. There's no pathway in Native American religion that leads to God. There is no path, no path in any kind of paganism that leads to God. There's certainly no path in atheism that leads to God. There's only one pathway that leads to God, and it is through the person of his son, Jesus, period. You call me what you want to call me. Call me a bigot, call me arrogant, call me mean, call me judgmental, call me divisive, call me any of the things that they call Jesus all you want. But I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. If you are a Christian, you believe these things. And if you do not believe these things, you are not a Christian. And if you are not a Christian, you don't have the right to call God your Father. You're lost in sin and hopeless until you come to Christ. This is the teaching of the word of God. Jesus says in John 15 verse 15, no longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Second, when Jesus ascended to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit, that is the third person of the divine trinity, to both remind and reveal all of God's will in its entirety. And so like I said, when we look at John chapter 1, we may not get a full picture of the Trinity. We get a start. But by the time we get to John 14, now the picture is really clear. The third person of the Godhead comes into view here, the Holy Spirit and his relationship with Jesus. Listen as I read verses 15 through 26 from the New King James Bible. 15 through 26. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Acts 2, 38 and 39. Verse 18, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer, Jesus says, and the world will see me no more. He's going to ascend into heaven. That's what he's saying. But you will see me because I live. You will live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. Listen to verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remem remembrance all things that I said to you. This passage, along with Jesus' words, teaches us how inspiration happened how the bible came to be god revealed himself through jesus the living word he came to earth became a man and showed us the meaning of god the nature of god the will of god having accomplished all of god's will he ascended to heaven and when he sat down at the right hand of the throne of the father through jesus the father sent the holy spirit we read in Acts chapter 2, fell upon the 12 on the first day of Pentecost after his ascension to heaven. And he guided them into the full truth of this book we have in our hands or on our smart devices today. 
And that's why, brothers and sisters, the written word is the word of God. We'll look at that next week, Lord willing. So I just want to bring our thoughts to a close by telling you a little bit of what I will talk about in the next installment of this series, Lord willing, two weeks from today. I'm going to take on that little claim that you see on the screen, that the Bible is just the work of men. I'm going to show you and I'm going to prove to you with objective evidence that there is no possible way that the voice we read of in the Bible is just the voice of the Jews. It's not possible. And there is an objective way to prove that. We'll talk about that, Lord willing, in two weeks. But listen, brothers and sisters, I want to end with this. Jesus says, John chapter 10, He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Brothers and sisters, we'll talk about this in two weeks, but please listen. This book, this book, from Genesis to Revelation, from beginning to end, speaks with a single, confident, beyond confident, a single, calm, unworried voice. It speaks with the voice of omniscience from beginning to end. Brothers and sisters, regardless of whether it was the hand of Moses or of Samuel or of David or of Ezra or of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, that voice is present in the writings. It dominates the writings. It is the voice of the writings. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, it is the voice of the Son of God. And if you are well read in this book, you know this is true. And if you're not, I just want to encourage you to get well read in it. And I promise you, put me to the test. You'll hear the voice of Almighty God. This morning, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Have you not yet made confession of your faith? Have you not yet decided to obey Jesus' commandment that you abandon self-guided living and embrace His will as your King? That's repentance. Have you not obeyed the commandment to be buried with Him in baptism that your sins might be washed away, that you might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2, 38 and 39? Then what are you waiting for? We may hear the trumpet of God today. Any minute we may hear the trumpet of God. If you're not re yet ready to see the Son of God coming in glory and stand before His throne in judgment, do not delay. Obey the gospel now. Today, if you are a baptized believer that needs the prayers of this church, the front pews are open. Come as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.